trend I elevated Make it way harder for them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged in your trachea Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff, rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight, WHUPLP Hillsboro, North Carolina, the center of the known world. This is the Cage Side Concussion Cast, your source for the martial arts in the Carolinas and beyond. I'm Jeff Shaw. There are only four more shopping days until Saturnalia or Christmas, if you prefer. It's December 20th, what? and I'm still that guy what wearing flip flops. Saturnalia. It's the Roman holiday that Christmas is based on. I'm more of a Krampus guy. More of a Krampus guy. I believe more in Krampus. Krampus I believe in Krampus knocked yeah. myself. You kind of. We should get Krampus costumes for the year end show. Think I won't. Uh, no, no. I think you will, which <laughs> no, is why I suggested down, downtown Hillsboro. North Carolina Krampus outfit. Yeah, next year is our big year-end show. Or next weekend is next our year, ne- yeah. next next year will really be our big year-end show. But next weekend will be our big year-end show. So maybe Trevor and I will both be in Krampus costumes coming to you live from 104.7 FM, streaming live on whupfm.org. So whether you're here in Hillsborough or listening to us live somewhere, um, we're excited to tell you the untold stories of martial arts in the Carolinas and beyond. Today in the studio, we've got Seth Champ. Uh, Seth is a Hoist Gracie black belt who recently returned from his annual trip to the Valente Brothers Academy in Miami for the Gracie Gathering. So he's going to have some great stories for us about that, about his jiu-jitsu journey, about his life. For those of you who don't know, Seth is also my instructor, so I'm really excited for that interview. Uh, Seth, you want to say hi to the folks? Good morning, everybody. Yeah, in about five minutes, we will have an in-depth interview with him. But first, we will summarize some martial arts news from the weekend. If we missed anything, let us know on Twitter and Instagram at CagesideWHUP. You can also shout us out using CagesideWhoop, the hashtag. You can get at us via email. That's CagesideWhoop at gmail.com or on our Facebook at Cageside Radio. Soon, our intern, Chris, who is in the studio. Hey, Chris. Uh, we have a, we, we're so important now We have an intern And he's in the studio And Chris is going to help us with our social media stuff As well as some of our audio production Getting Trevor coffee, washing my car uh, Possibly letting Seth choke him unconscious on video So thanks for volunteering for all that stuff, Chris All of this information Except for the choking unconsciousness Is on our show page at whupfm.org If you miss us, you can always catch the replay on demand At whoopfm.org or on iTunes and Stitcher Where you can subscribe to us so, Trevor, next week is our big end-of-year show. So we, we talked about wanting to recap the best, some of the top events of the year, some of the best fights, some of the biggest deals, and some of the biggest fails of the year. Yes. So what are some of the things that you would like? So I would like for folks that are listening to tell us some of the momentous events uh, via Twitter and Instagram, via the email that I gave. I would love for folks to send <laughs> us in their submissions of some of the most important events of the past year for our show next week. I'd like to have people just kind of send in a general thing. Maybe we'll just find something on social media posts where people can put their favorite... Uh, jiu-jitsu super fight, their favorite Muay Thai fight, MMA fight, even judo match. And then, you know, try to find the fails you can find in between. Then we want to do stuff like best hair, worst hair. Yeah. Entrance, exit, which I have a great exit fail, which I wish I could <laughs> have kept that that loop. Shoot, I just realized that. So as you, can te- as you can tell, our categories for this are a bit loose, uh, but if you have a momentous event from the martial arts in North Carolina and beyond for the last year, send it to us on Twitter and Instagram at CagesideWhoop or at CagesideWhoop at gmail.com. We're going to talk about, like Trevor said, the best martial arts matches. We're talking MMA fights. We're talking jiu-jitsu matches, judo matches, M- or Muay Thai fights. Whatever you thought was excellent, especially if you have video of it, send it to us. We'll post that on our page and talk about it next week. One other thing that I'm super excited about, and intern Chris is going to help me with this. Thanks again, Chris. Um, is that this in voluntold? Some, vo, he got voluntold. <laughs> in, in, in something, so 
U.S. Grappling uh, is one of the major tournament organizations that we talk about a lot. We've interviewed Andrew Smith. They do a lot of great work around here. And in something that has taken me more time than I'd like to admit, I've crunched all the numbers from every U.S. Grappling tournament in 2015. What that means is most popular submission, most common outcome, uh, average match length. And all of this stuff is going to be broken down for you. And Chris is going to help me with this and Excel spreadsheets. We're going to break this down the stats for you. So if you've ever wondered about what the most common submissions are in each division, like 30-plus women, 158 and under, or, uh, or adult males, uh, blue belt, you know, we're going to have all of that information for you. We're going to have information for about what the most common submissions are, about how long the matches go in the 30-plus division compared to the adult division. We're going to let you know, and we might even produce some cool visualizations of it. So the recap's going to be really fun. Everybody's laughing at me for my nerdhood, and that's totally fine. I love it. I, ho- <laughs> I hope. Keep, keep your alpha under I'm control. Sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> alpha. Classic Jeff Shaw right there. Yeah. <laughs> Feel free to alpha up on me. Seth is my instructor, so he doesn't need my permission anyway. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, so there's going to be some nerd core next year. One, the one other thing before we get into our interview, interview with Seth, which is speaking of U.S. grappling, um, they have uh, a tournament in Raleigh. Uh, it's the first tournament of next year. It's January 16th. And something that's very exciting, it's going to be at Dorton Arena, a larger venue than that's they've awesome. ever had before. Yeah. It's great. That's awesome. So not only is it a bigger venue, it's also where the roller derby <laughs> matches are. And so I think having jiu-jitsu where there's roller derby. That's where the first fights in uh, North Carolina were held again. Is that right? Back in 2005, the CFP came through there. That's when uh, it was still Doug Muley and... Jason and Billy and yeah, 2008 was it 2008. Yep, 2008. It was oh, with, nice. after they were banned after UFC three. Yeah, yeah, they came back. Um, 2005. I don't know. In 2008. Yeah. See, this is why we keep Trevor around, not just for his uh, fashion sense and his shark onesie, and yeah. why we have guests like Seth in the studio for their keen institutional knowledge of the history of North Carolina martial arts. And speaking of said keen, Ooh, knowledge, know what we should do? We should find that? Hamid's fight from that CFP. Yes, <laughs> Hamid did. Hamid Sanders fought on that card. Wow. So did Ryan Hansler. Oh wow. That's was uh, he on that show? Yeah. If it wasn't for uh, people like Jason Colbreth, um, yeah. Billy Dowie, MMA would not have come back to him. I, so I thought Ryan Hans were fought somewhere else. I think it's important to shout out Jason Colbreth for his work in bringing uh, MMA back to North Carolina. And Jason Colbreth, who we have talked about getting in the studio. Jason is launching his own podcast, and so as soon as Jason launches his own podcast, we're going we're gonna to get an interview, do with some cross-promotion. Jason, another guy who has a bunch of, of institutional so knowledge of North Carolina history. Stories. So many incredible stories. And you know who else has some good stories? Seth Champ. So on the other side of this bumper, we're going to get into our featured interview with Hoist Gracie Black Belt, Seth Champ. You are listening to the K-Side Concussion Cast. I am listening to the K-Side Concussion Cast. So Seth, you've been training for quite a while, and you've earned your black belt from Hoist Gracie in one of you know in in a pretty intense way, which we'll we'll talk about later. But I think first we should talk about how you got your start in jujitsu. How'd you get interested, and and how did you start this journey? Yeah, I think like most people, um, <clears throat> we we started watching the early UFC tapes um, with Hoist going out and doing his thing. And uh, the year was I think 1995 or 96, and I came across UFC one, UFC two. Blockbuster or wherever it was, and um, and after having watched those like a million times, started wrestling around with my friends, having fun beating them up. Um, but I would say in 1996, I uh, was staying with a friend in Pennsylvania, and um, we got some of the uh, early instructional tapes by Hoist and Horian, 
and we were in his basement and we would uh, watch those tapes and drill and practice and and uh, that was my first introduction to jujitsu. And just from those tapes alone, just from those instructionals and learning a few things, uh, I definitely had a, a passion for jujitsu, and, and I fell in love with the idea of it and hoist. And um, that was where the seed was definitely planted for me. Those early hoist and Horian tapes still stand up as really outstanding instructionals. They, they do for sure. Good. Go well, no, we just spent time doing that, um, and then for me, jujitsu was always this thing that kind of sat in the back of my head and uh, I never really was able to get formal instruction because in the mid 90s late 90s um, on the east coast there wasn't gyms everywhere it was uh, there was a few gyms around but I was you know in a place where I didn't have tons of money and didn't have the chance to go um, join a gym so I just basically kind of played with what I knew continued to watch Hoist continued to watch the UFC stayed a fan of Hoist even when he went and fought overseas and um that was really my introduction for jujitsu for many years, just, just those tapes and, and playing around with friends. And your first instructor, your first formal instructor was um, was uh, Kyle Saunders, who is who's now a black belt under Roy Harris? That's right. Um, uh, after a few years in the early 2000s, I was living in Rochester, New York, and um, had settled down up there and wanted to find an actual jujitsu school. And my uh, first daughter was going to be born, and I knew I was going to have a little bit of a change in lifestyle so I figured you know I might as well find something that I can actually attach myself to um, to keep myself busy because I was going to be staying home a lot with her with my oldest daughter and um, so I found a school and started training with him he was a brown belt at the time and I went in there and I could tell that story if you want me to but um, generally speaking if you want to tell a story we want you to tell a story I think now actually I do remember this some some of these stories are going to expose myself for for being silly but that's okay um yeah, I remember thinking I, I was I knew a few things, thinking I'd you know I'd been around a little bit, had a few uh, scraps here and there, a couple of little matches that were fun back in the day, and um, so I my first class I remember thinking all right I'm going to go in here. I, I looked up some information online how the belts work and how it was going to go, and and uh, I said oh man he's only a brown belt. I was like this isn't going to be that hard. <laughs> we'll see what happens tonight. So I thought I was going to go in there probably get my blue belt the first night. Uh, maybe a few months later, get my purple belt. See how this goes. <laughs> Don't hate Sadly, me. Sadly, a lot of people still have. That, I know. Have so that thought that that's how it goes. I went in there and uh, and I remember my first class, and it was only a few of us in there. It was a very small class, and uh, and we did something. I don't even remember what it was. And uh, but it came time to spar, and um, to roll. And I, he said, "You know, you want to roll?" And I said, "Of course, yeah, let's do this." And we started on the feet. And I remember trying to snatch his neck in like a guillotine, which was something I, you know, I knew how to do. And I remember squeezing as hard as I could and trying as hard as I could. And my arms were slowly getting more and more tired and he was not tapping. And then the next thing I knew I was on the ground and next thing I knew I could not squeeze anymore and he was on top of me and it felt like an elephant was sitting on me and then my arm was bending the wrong way. And I tapped and, uh, and I thought to myself, I said, wow, you know, what was that? You know, how did he do that? And uh, from then I realized, you know, like there was a lot more to jujitsu than what I had already, you know, been thinking about or training. And uh, and I uh, I was hooked. And from that night on, I went and trained every day that I could, every class that I could, nonstop. I was into it. And, um, yeah, I've been doing it ever since. When did you first start teaching? So after that, I moved to North Carolina in 2005, 2006. I moved down here and I started training with Jake Whitfield at Team Rock Chapel Hill, and um, I was training with him, and I got into MMA. He wanted me to start doing some MMA fights, and I was training for that. I had some injuries. 
Um, he moved away in 2000. Actually, we split from Team Rock in 2007, formed Triangle Jiu-Jitsu, and we were teach, uh, holding classes out of Karate International here in Durham, which is where Jake's mom worked. And we trained there for a little bit. There was only a few of us that split from Team Rock and went to Triangle Jiu-Jitsu. And then in 2007 or 8, somewhere around there, Jake moved out to Goldsboro. And he, um, he started his own school out there and uh, left me with the Durham School. So I think it was about 2008 I started teaching full-time. I mean, I wouldn't say full-time. I was teaching a few nights a week at Karate International teaching Jiu-Jitsu. And that was uh, quite a learning curve. I was a purple belt. Um, I didn't know much about teaching jujitsu. I didn't, I mean, I knew how to teach because I've been teaching in some capacities for many years, but learning to teach martial arts was certainly a learning curve. Um, and, uh, yeah, I say about 2008. Awesome. And in the second part of our interview, we'll get into some of the other teaching you've done, teaching music and things like that and how that translates. But for now, I kind of want to hear you tell another old story about one of your first challenge matches. And I've heard this story, but it sounds like Trevor hasn't. So... It, oh, I, someone you, challenged you. I would, yeah, I would use. So the, I remember the guillotine story. That on, on yes, Kyle Sonner. I remember that. And then I was like, oh wait, no. So, no, so I would, I would use the, I would use the, 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 the term challenge match somewhat loosely as it compares to maybe what the Gracie challenges were from back in the day. However. I would say that from 1996 on, I was a believer in jiu-jitsu, and I was a proponent of jiu-jitsu, and I thought jiu-jitsu was the best. Um, and anywhere I go, I was willing to talk about that and say that and tell everybody who would listen to that. So uh, around 97, or I think it was 97, I was living in a commune in Vermont. No, 98. I think it was 97, 98. I was living in a commune in Vermont. Is that where you live by Fish Band? No. Fish? Nope, nope. That was childhood. Uh, I grew up next to the band fish. Grew up next to them, okay. Yeah, the band fish was neighbors of mine as I was growing Seth up. Seth is full of history. Anyway. <laughs> um, I had to put that out there. Yes. So I'm living in this commune, and there was um, lots of younger people around my age in their you know, late teens, early 20s, also living on the commune. And a couple of people there um, were into martial arts. And one of the young men who was there was into jiu-jitsu as well. And another young man was into Wang Chung Kung Fu. And um, they were both not there when I first moved to the commune, but I had heard about them. And uh, they were, you know, nice enough to take me in, the people at the commune. I met them serendipitously. But uh, so we, um, they actually had a dojo on the commune, a really cool dojo that they had built. Um, They were, uh, you know, into um, promoting and, and encouraging their kids in whatever way they could, the adults were. So they built them a really cool dojo in the woods. And so one day... After lots of talking about who would win in some of these matches, you know, between Seth and some of these other people that lived there, we all converged on the dojo one wintry afternoon. Lots of people. And um, we went in there, and uh, I first went against the jujitsu guy, who I was much bigger than. Um, and that's a whole different story, but um, I ended up tapping him out with a collar choke, and I didn't really know much about collar chokes at the time, but I did. But the other guy was a very big, strong kung fu guy who had just come back from China, who had been training in China doing his kung fu. And while there was, you know, no animosity between us, there was certainly some, I'm better than you. And it's I like felt two the same. silverbacks in the same Yes, and I felt thing. the same way. Because anyone that doesn't know Seth, he is six foot 
eight, about six, ten, ten, six, eleven, six, six foot six, seven, twelve, six, okay. six, six, six. Um, he's spiritually seven, twelve. Yes. <laughs> so he was a big guy, though, too. I was not much bigger than he was. Um, but we sparred and we fought, and it was it turned into something. There was really no rules, and we didn't actually talk about rules. We were just going to fight. And I remember this because he was kicking, and I was like, oh, we're kicking. Mm-hmm. So I was kicking, and I didn't know any other kicks other than Hoist's Pizone, the front kick that Hoist used. And so I'm sitting there trying to kick him, and I'm trying to keep the distance so that he's not hitting me. And we sparred and or some say we fought for about eight to nine minutes before I finally was able to choke him with a like guillotine from the front where I was smashing his face and sprawled out on him and got him to tap out. And he was super angry and super aggressive. But uh, it was a brawl. And, well, he uh, found out his kung fu was no good. He and may he, have found he, out his no his kung fu didn't work. And if yeah. he's listening right now, you know, no no hard feelings because yeah. that was a it was a fun story from my past. But it certainly was kung fu versus jujitsu. Even though I wasn't the greatest representative of jujitsu, um, jujitsu did what it always did. Did you live up to like the 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 storyline of the dojo storm did you take the dojo over and his wife and kids and give them your last name and take over the lineage as well that or? is for a different broadcast okay a different broadcast. that's for your your, your <laughs> memoirs we'll put that <laughs> on our bonus podcast on yeah. stitcher that's that for your memoir yeah. but yeah. you you raise a really interesting like that that raises a really interesting point for me because a lot of people think jujitsu is just grappling mm-hmm. and you know listening to this story particularly the hoist pizau front kick you know jujitsu is a complete martial art and so i guess i want to hear you talk about what what is jiu-jitsu for you? Yeah. Uh, jiu-jitsu is a complete martial art. It's the most complete martial art on the planet, by far and away. Um, the jiu-jitsu that I teach that comes directly from Hoist, which comes directly from his father, um, is comprised of five different elements. Striking, grappling, takedowns and throws, standing self-defense, as well as a philosophy that you, we use to kind of keep us uh, centered and doing the right thing. Um, and the striking component of jiu-jitsu is meant to help us... us uh, complete our job, achieve our goals. Um, you know, when you look at those early UFCs with Hoist, I always say this, you know, that Hoist outstruck everybody in those competitions, and the strikers were very decorated. I mean, Pat Smith had just gotten done winning this gigantic tournament in uh, in America. Gerard Gordeau was one of the best kickboxers in Europe. Say what you want about Art Jimerson and his one glove, but he was a top 10 welterweight in the WBC. I mean, that's legit. Um, and then he went over and uh, UFC 2, UFC 3, you know, he fought good strikers. And in my opinion, he outstruck them. He didn't outstrike them by staying in the pocket and throwing punches. He outstruck them by using strikes that were more effective than theirs. His front kick allowed him to do his job. His pizon um, allowed him to do his job. The pizon is that front kick you always see him doing where he's trying to kick you in the front of the knee. They call that pizon because that translates from Portuguese as big step. And that's really what it looks like, a big step towards the front knee. Um, and you can say what you want about that striking, but if your striking allows you to do your job, either knocking him out, clinching and taking him down, that's what your striking's supposed to do. Um, our jiu-jitsu has striking in it. Um, it allows us to understand what our opponent's trying to do when they hit us, but it also allows us to use our striking to clinch, to use strikes inside the clinch, elbows and knees. I mean, if you think about being inside the clinch and trying to take down a really athletic wrestler... Plant a good knee up the middle and see how much easier your job gets. Smack him with an elbow right across his face, and when the blood starts to trickle, see how easy your job gets. So our striking in jiu-jitsu is certainly uh, not your prototypical, you know, kickboxing or Muay Thai. It's, 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 a, it's an effective way to make our jobs easier, ending the fight. And one thing I'd like to hear Trevor talk about a little bit, like in your fundamentals curriculum, you've had some elements, like, and this comes from, again, original jiu-jitsu, a tie clinch, the guillotines from the tie clinch, knees from the tie clinch, things like that. And, you know, it's, it's one of those ways where I think jiu-jitsu is an open-minded martial art that learns from other martial arts. Yeah, uh, 
with me being a Muay Thai guy, I grew up wrestling and judo, and I was exposed to jiu-jitsu very early on. I tell people, like, you need to do jiu-jitsu at some point. You really do. And I tell jiu-jitsu guys, you need to really get yourself into some pure striking classes as well because it only goes so far. You can do the drills, but until you really get hit in the face, oh, man, it makes so much more sense. And I tell Muay Thai guys for self-defense, you know, you have the catches, the throws. For self-defense, you can throw somebody. Cool. Control them. Get on top because a punch to the mouth or the eye causes a lawsuit. Yeah. <laughs> it's much easier to choke somebody. I tell people, like, uh, I've bounced for a long time, and I'm a short guy. I've used jiu-jitsu more than I have Muay Thai. Yep. There have been some funny times. I use Muay Thai to prove a point, but a well, lot of times a, it's jiu-jitsu that saved my, my I butt. I mean, Dewan Owens is a really good example, right? Oh, yeah. Dewan Owens is a monster in the cage, right? And most of his wins lately have been coming some, by submissions. Yeah. But he loves throwing his hands. He loves getting in there and banging with people. But he understands that, you know, to finish a fight— you know, you could sit there and club a dude over and over again, or you can restrict his blood flow to his brain. Yeah. And if you can get that and choke. He's understood that point. Oh, man, if I just hurt them on the feet, then take them down, now I can submit them so much yeah. easier. And to, to Trevor's point about, you know, cross-training or, or at least exposing yourself, that's what Jeff's talking about in my fundamentals classes. Mm-hmm. We put on gloves. We put yeah. on gloves all the time, and I sit there and I say, all right, you got to clinch with him. Mm-hmm. And this guy with the gloves, I'd say, go ahead and yeah, knock him out. Is, nothing is more infuriating to me than meeting a pure jiu-jitsu guy as a jiu-jitsu guy that does only sport jiu-jitsu and and has done no self-defense or any striking you can kind of just like flinch at him a little bit and when you see a grown man flinch back you're dead like outside of a bar or a club or something like you're it's not going to end well for you and i tell muay thai guys all the time cool guess what happens when the jiu-jitsu guy catches your leg like (laughs) it's not gonna be a fun time like this segues into a really important question in martial arts that um, that I wanted to ask Seth about for sure, which is you've competed in sport jiu-jitsu for a long time at a very, very high level. You know, you've competed at the Mundials, you've won the Pans, you've won you know, numerous IBJJF tournaments, numerous US grappling tournaments, but your jiu-jitsu is also really focused on rooted in self-defense. And so how do you approach the sport versus self-defense issue? Do you feel, how, where do you come down on the what is competition good for and what are its limits question? I'm not one of those guys that, um, that says you can't do both. Uh, I believe you can do both. Um, I believe I teach jiu-jitsu from the standpoint of self-defense, um, but I also enjoy the sport of jiu-jitsu, just like I enjoy the sport of basketball. I enjoy the sport of kickball, and uh, I don't think that the the muscle memory that I create while playing basketball is going to interfere if I'm in a self-defense situation. I don't believe that the muscle memory that I create while doing my sport jiu-jitsu is going to interfere with my self-defense situation. Um, when it comes to self-defense, we're trying to... Um, maintain a situational awareness first and foremost, then try to manage distance between whatever is a threat and whatever is help um, or an exit. And those two, com- you know, things combined are completely separate from sport jiu-jitsu. You know, in a sport jiu-jitsu setting, I step on the mat, I'm safe. There's a ref, there's a mat, it is what it is. But when it comes to self-defense, we're very clear. You have to make sure you understand your surroundings, manage the distance, and then do what you have to do to either get away or get inside the clinch. Um, I know there's a, a large proponent who would sit there and say, oh, jiu-jitsu is no good for, um, for self-defense because, you know, you don't want to go to the ground. You know, if you're on the ground, bad things can happen. And if you've ever been in any of my classes, you know I will tell you to avoid the ground at all costs in a self-defense situation. You'll hear people say, uh, you know, jiu-jitsu is no good for self-defense because what if there's two guys, you know, two-on-one, what are you going to do then? You know, one-on-one fighting in jiu-jitsu, you know, what, and like I said, if you've ever been in one, one of my classes... You've absolutely done the two-on-one drill. You've done the three-on-one drill. The other night when we were in class and I had four of you guys try to attack me just to, you know, work on that four-on-one drill. 
Jiu-Jitsu gives us an opportunity to, to survive any situation. It is not rooted in one-on-one -on -one ground fighting, and that's one of the biggest misconceptions. And so when I read these things, um, all sport Jiu-Jitsu versus self-defense, I'll give it usually the first paragraph. And in that first paragraph, I hear, uh, oh, Jiu-Jitsu is no good for self-defense because, you know, there's you know, punching. What if a guy tries to hit you? I stop reading mm -hmm. because I don't care about having a discussion with that guy. He doesn't get it. I do care about my students, and I care about telling them the reality of it and so in my class um, we're very self-defense oriented but I have nothing against the sport of jiu-jitsu the sport of MMA um, in fact that's where the name triangle jiu-jitsu comes from for those of you who don't know the name of my academy um, is triangle jiu-jitsu and while certainly we're in the triangle the real reason for the name is that our jiu-jitsu is a three-sided approach first and foremost the self-defense aspects then the sport aspects and then the mixed martial arts aspects yeah two, th two things about that that I wanted to lift up first you know when we were in class the other night there were like 30 guys there and you asked everybody, hey, everybody, what's the one word that I use to describe jiu-jitsu? And everybody said survival. Because jiu-jitsu for self-defense, that is it's about walking away from any situation and keeping yourself safe, which I think is really important and something that you instill in your students. And the second thing, I think people misunderstand from my perspective as a smaller, older, tiny vegan that I think people misunderstand why jiu-jitsu focuses on ground fighting so much. And that's I, – I have a wrestling background. I have good takedowns. But if someone, like a big new guy, like I'm trying to think of, like the big, the 200-pound guy walks in off the street, especially if I'm in a self-defense situation and the dude surprises me, it's very easy for me to end up on my back, even though my takedowns are way better than that guy's. And so it's super important, like not that I would choose necessarily to pull guard, but in a situation where I'm in a bar, the guy is drunk, he comes up behind me, I could very well end up on my back. And it's very important for me to learn how to defend myself from that position. Absolutely. And being on the ground neutralizes some things about the size differentials between people. You know, I'm six foot six, 220, and you're five foot six, you know, 150, something like that. And when we stand next to each other, my arms are much longer than yours. My legs are much longer than yours. I get punch and kick from a different range. But when we get on the ground, Using the techniques and leverage of jiu-jitsu, you become heavier and stronger and more powerful than you are standing. And that's one of the ways that we neutralize. And it's not just about using leverage. It's about controlling positions. If any, you know anything about jiu-jitsu, the, 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 you know, the age-old mantra is how a little person beats up a big person. That's how it works. And Hoist proved that. And it's not always leverage and technique. Oftentimes, it's I am you know, able to find a way to get on top of you where you cannot do much to get out from underneath me, but you're going to try. And as you try and try and try, I use a little bit of energy and I'm efficient with my control that I'm not wasting energy, but you're going balls to the wall to get out from underneath me and your energy goes down. Now you're weaker, you're more tired, and a smaller person beats you. So uh, certainly ground fighting gives us that opportunity to actually, you know, do what jujitsu is uh, you know, famous for doing. Mm -hmm. That's why I love seeing the female blue belts roll against the, the new white belt. Who is it? Isn't Shayla like your go-to now? For, she is uh, definitely her and Kim. Influence uh, the white belt to come in. We yeah. have uh, we have quite a few <coughs> world champion, f female world champions yeah, we have in your gym. We have quite a few awesome women that train with <laughs> us, and it is absolutely a selling point to uh, find that guy who comes in with an ego and say, hey, uh, go roll with that smiley little blue belt girl over there. <laughs> you know, and then Two things happen. You know, this speaks more to the uh, attitude of our gym, but two things happen when that, you know, when Shayla or Kim or Jesse, you know, goes over there and taps somebody out. They either uh, can run away and pretend that didn't exist, in which case I don't have to deal with your attitude, or you shift your attitude. You become a little more humble and uh, you decide to, uh, you know, be a little bit more of a better training partner. Yeah, the, the realistic uh, martial arts like Jiu Jitsu and Muay Thai have very much a, a humbling Absolutely. ability. For everyone else, there's 
kung fu and taekwondo or something like that. <laughs> well, like I remember. No offense to anybody, but that's kind of how it's become. I'm, I probably just pissed off so many people with oh, that right there. But the, the cage side concussion uh, cast taking on the big issues. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and you know seriously, like and you know Trevor talked about how you jiu jitsu guys should take striking classes too. The the sort of convert the converse to that is like the fr- I remember the first time I got kicked in the leg. <laughs> It's not a it's not a lot of fun. That's a wake up call. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. It's not good times. So, uh, like, so this we could go in a variety of directions here, but I have a couple. So I think a lot about gym culture, and you've just described like the gym culture at Triangle Jiu Jitsu. There's a lot of women that train. It's a very positive environment, and it seems to me that you know, and maybe this is, but then you know, I, I think back to your early days in Jiu Jitsu where you couldn't even find a gym, and then finally when you found formal instruction, I was like, oh, okay, here's here's a guy who's a brown belt. And back then, a brown belt was, oh wow, you know, that's mm-hmm. that you might not find a brown belt for another several hundred miles. Mm-hmm. How would you describe the shift in jiu-jitsu gym culture over the years that you've been training, both at your gym and in jiu-jitsu gyms generally? I think that a lot of it has to do with because there is so much more out there, um, certain gym cultures have taken on more of the personality of the instructor. And I think back in the day, 10 years, 10 years, 12 years ago, um, the jiu-jitsu gym was a direct reflection of where jiu-jitsu came from. You know, people were trying to emulate wherever they first got their instruction from, whether so if you were a Carlson gym or if you were Gracie Baja or if you were under Hoist, it was trying to literally just duplicate what jiu-jitsu you knew. Um, and here it is. This is what they told me to do. This is what I'm going to do. Um, this is what you're going to do. And I think today where people um, like myself who've been in it for long enough to um, sort of take on their own approach to jiu-jitsu that involves them, their life, their backstory, their history, their you know way they interact with people, Gyms now have more of a culture that is, you know, has a variety to it, you know, and it reflects, I think, the personality of the instructor in a lot of ways. And so I think what I've tried to do at my gym was tackle the main issues that stop people from coming in and stop people from training. And so I describe Triangle Jiu-Jitsu as an attitude first gym, which means I don't care why you're here. I don't care if your goals are self-defense, mixed martial arts or sport jiu-jitsu. As long as you have a positive attitude and as long as you can be a good training partner and respectful, um, I want you here. When you say the things that you think stop people from coming in, it seems like you're sounding you're talking about a bad attitude generally, but there are specific things that you think drive people away from martial arts gyms? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, intern Chris said something when we were talking before. He was just like, you know, I, was, I saw this ad, but I was nervous about coming in. You know, I think everybody and anybody who thinks about going to a, you know, a Muay Thai, MMA, a jiu-jitsu school has that stigma, you know, there's a stigma attached to it that these are tough fighters, you know, and am I going to The hardest part is just walking into the gym. The hardest part is walking in the door. So if they can do that, you have to really work on making sure they come back, making sure they feel safe because they've bucked up and walked in the door. They've done, they've done a lot, Uh, you know, regardless of how we as instructors and school and gym owners become numb to that white belt feelings that we used to have become numb to it, it still is very real. And so when I see someone walk in, I'm like, well, you know, good for you. That's the first <laughs> thing. Good for you, you know. And then I, then from there, I want to take it. And uh, my Once students. Once you get their money, then it's a different story. No, no, no. No, I'm, no. I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. My I'm students kidding. <laughs> have been the biggest proponents of that. Jeff, you, you know, you as well are one of the uh, 
one of the best ambassadors for jiu-jitsu that exists on the planet, regardless of triangle jiu-jitsu alike, uh, you know, just the way that you're able to make people feel comfortable. And, and I use you all the time. I use you all the time. When I get the sense of somebody who is, maybe it's a woman, uh, maybe it's someone who is very timid and I can tell, I can pick up on the vibes that they're, something in their backstory is, is, is fragile, you know, I'll put them with you and uh, they always feel safe. They feel comfortable. They come back. And so, um, you know, keeping the, the, the gym culture, the attitude positive is certainly conducive to a good a good training environment. Well, thanks a lot. That's really flattering. And uh, that uh, one thing I've always wanted to talk to you about, or I've wanted to talk to you about recently, is uh, your trip to Valente Brothers. So every year, uh, for, to give the listeners some background, every year there's a Gracie gathering at the Valente Brothers Academy in Miami, and the Valente Brothers studied directly under Elio Gracie, the founder of Jiu-Jitsu. This is where Seth got his black belt. Um, and and uh, so I guess um, let's talk about, you know, and th- these guys are sort of the original jiu-jitsu, and they teach as, you know, virtually unchanged is my understanding from Elio Gracie's yeah. jiu-jitsu. So I guess, uh, w- you know, what do these trips mean to you? And what's, you know, uh, and what did it mean to you to get your black belt down there? And I would like to get into some stories later about what happened this time. Yeah, so we do as a network. The Hoist Gracie Network has um, sort of partnered up with the uh, the Valente Brothers Network. Um, we're trying to move in a similar direction with each other. Um, Pedro Valente, um, Joaquim, and Guy Valente have been super welcoming to the hoist guys and um, have brought us down there and hoist has you know gone down there for their winter celebration ceremony uh, every year and I started going down there in 2012 uh, the Valentes have a authentic look at the self-defense aspects of jiu-jitsu they are as true to what Elio Gracie was trying to do as you can possibly find on the planet and as such they've garnered the respect of all of Elio's sons um, hoist certainly is one of the closer uh, closest of the sons that are you know uh, you know hanging out with them i guess or involved with them but hoyler does seminars there you've been to a hickson seminar there horian goes there helson goes there they all are still very um, much involved with the valentes because i think that they all have the respect they all knew what grandmaster elio felt about the valente brothers and they uh, it says it in his book of the 27 diplomas that he ever gave out you know three of them go to these brothers um they're they're as as authentic as you can get so for me in my journey of jiu-jitsu, which involves a few different directions, but first and foremost, the self-defense aspects of jiu-jitsu, that trip every year, among other things, always helps center me, always helps bring me back to the roots of why I'm doing this, what I'm doing this for. I certainly pick up a lot of details from them, being around them, being around the network, um, being with Hoist. Um, but I always come back uh, you know, reinvigorated, feeling that, um, that sense of purpose for jiu-jitsu. And so uh, I, could, I hope to continue to do that for, forever. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a quick break, 15 seconds, and uh, after, like, we're going to continue our discussion with Seth Champ. We're going to talk a little more about the Valente brothers, and we're also going to get into Seth's life as a martial artist and uh, as a person. I also want to talk about the belt train tradition that Triangle Jiu-Jitsu has, because it's different <laughs> than the Valente brothers promotion tradition of, Absolutely. of the gauntlet. And so hang with us for about 15 seconds, y'all. We're back with Seth Champ presently. Fighting is, is wonderful, man. Fighting is, oh my God, it's, it's literally like a play. You can just be any character you want. It's the Cage Side Concussion Cast on WHUPFM.org. So, Seth, was there anything in particular about your trip to Valente Brothers this time that stands out to you? So when I go down there now, um, I don't get to train as much and do the classes. Um, I am part of a, um, a committee or a council, if you will, that is involved with testing brown belts from around the world 
um, to see if they're ready for their black belt. For intern Chris, they don't wear dark hoods or have a dark room or candles, so it's not I, that bad. I can't uh, comment on all those things. <laughs> I can't confirm or deny any of those things. However, I will say that um, it is a rigorous test meant to test you both physically and mentally and emotionally to see if you are up to the standards of a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu black belt. And... Um, and it, if having been on the other side, I went through this test in 2013 um, and passed, and, and now I get to be a part of it from the other side and even help in certain ways to administer this test. Um, but it is quite the uh, quite an experience. That um, getting a black belt in that capacity is, in my opinion, the most um, prestigious thing you can do um, for jiu-jitsu. A lot of different promotional. Um, criterium exists in a lot of different schools, you know, winning tournaments, uh, length of time, whatever it might be. Um, but this one tests your merit. It tests your heart. It tests your skill. Um, and it's fun. It's a lot of fun to be a part of. And uh, certainly when I did it, it was nerve wracking and intense and it was challenging. Um, but I wouldn't have changed it for any other thing. I, I love that I've, that I've been through that experience. When, when you say it's fun to be a part of, are you talking about on the testing end or on the being um, tested end? You know, both. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that during the test it's much. It's very much fun, but after the test, and I tell this to you guys, I say, look, you're going to be, uh, you're going to like the fact that you went through that. You're going to be excited the fact that you went through that afterwards. <laughs> afterwards, you're <laughs> going to be proud of yourself. Th this actually is exactly how I feel about the triangle jiu-jitsu belt train tradition because it's certainly not fun while you're going through it, but afterward you feel like you've accomplished something for the listeners that, that don't know actually why don't i just let you describe the sure. tjj belt train tradition and how it differs from other promotional traditions yeah and any any jiu-jitsu academy that you train in obviously promotions are a big part of them and they're a big deal there's only four, one two three four, there's only four of them that really exist in, in all of jiu-jitsu and compared to other martial arts you know promotions happen much more often and uh, there's a lot more of them to be had we only have five belts so you start as a white belt and then you get a blue purple brown and black so there's four times in your whole journey that you get promoted in jiu-jitsu. Uh, lots of schools have different traditions on how they um, like to celebrate that promotion. Some schools, a very traditional and common one is a gauntlet where students will line up on either side of the mat and you'll walk down this row and those students will whip you with their belts. Um, that's one of them. I've seen, you know, ones where the instructor will just basically do a judo throw to the person who was promoted. I've even seen some instructors who will apply a choke and put you unconscious and then wake you up. Welcome to your new belt. Or the, they, they choke him out and they put the belt on. Have you seen one of the, the guys, he's wrong with his student, I have ties, seen it on, ties it on, ties the belt while on while he's rolling with him. The kid sits yep. up and goes, whoa, that. I, I thought that was kind of cool. That was, was kind of cool. Yeah. It, um, and that was the way he got promoted. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. that was cool. Uh, at Triangle Jiu-Jitsu, we took a different approach and I'm absolutely as, as uh, adamant about this as it can be. I think that it's the best way to induct someone into their new belt. We, uh, we ask you to show that you know jiu-jitsu, and especially our jiu-jitsu, which is about survival, we ask you to survive. And so when you get a belt, depending on the rank, when you get a blue belt, we're going to ask you to survive for at least 15 minutes with a new person jumping on you every minute trying to attack you. Um, at purple belt, it's at least 30 minutes. At brown belt, it's at least 45 minutes. And at black belt, it's at least an hour. Um, I believe that, that those time limits are perfectly conducive to what you're able to handle. I think when a black belt gets done his train, it feels just like a blue belt who got done their train. Um, and yesterday, 
And Jeff, who was <laughs> awarded his purple belt a while ago, um, we had an opportunity to put through him through his purple belt train. And when I say at least, that's a, it's a very big deal because there's a difference between 30 minutes or 37 minutes that Jeff had to go there's through. American yesterday. math and Brazilian math. Right. <laughs> so yesterday we put Jeff on the mat and um, we made him roll for 37 straight minutes with a new person jumping on him every minute. And it was a testament to his ability to survive, his ability to go to a mental place that was going to get him through it. Um, one of the things in our philosophy that we talk about is, is, is a Japanese word that the samurai used called mushin, which is a, called empty mind, which is a, an opportunity for you to not be thinking and stressing and uh, worrying about a bunch of stuff, but literally just to empty your mind, let your jujitsu speak for itself and, um, and go. And yesterday, Jeff went through 37 minutes of brutality and... Um, he did an amazing job of surviving. He's here today. Um, you know, no worse for the wear, except for a few marks here and there. Um, but it's like you said to begin with. It's not super fun thinking about it and stressing about it. It's not super fun while you're in it. But when you're done and you've survived it, um, two other people, Elena and, uh, and Henry, both went through their blue belt trains yesterday, and they all felt this sense of accomplishment. They all felt this felt this sense of worth. So I will say this, though, like uh, you know, Trevor is my is my exemplar for empty mind. And, <laughs> I, I just kind of <laughs> I, I see I, what you did there. It was too easy. Deep in my heart, I know I'm funny. Uh, but uh, the, good morning, the, Vietnam. <laughs> exactly. Well done, Bruno Kirby, a classic role. But like I, it, the thing Way is, disrespecting in front of my student, I quit. I, no, oh no, no, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to have a fight later. No. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the the, the uh, I and today I feel great. You know, I took a bunch of pictures. There's actually we're gonna I have some video excerpts that we might post to the Facebook page uh, that are just you know, we're not gonna post the whole 37 minute ordeal, uh, but you know some excerpts just to give people an idea for what this is. And it is a trial. It's a physical trial. It's a mental trial because by the end of it, like Seth says, you know, doesn't really matter how tough you are. <laughs> um, by the end of it, you're going to be wrung out. And so today, I, 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 yesterday I felt like I get hit by a large train. Today I feel like I get hit by a small bus. Um, tomorrow, hopefully, it'll be like, I don't know, like a, a Prius maybe that I feel like I got run over by. <laughs> and uh, and we'll sh then we'll go for motorcycle and from there. But, but like the reason I like this tradition um, is, you know, if I get whipped by a belt, that doesn't really tell me anything about my ability to survive. It doesn't really tell me about if I've learned jujitsu, right? It, whereas if I'm able to put up with and I'm, one of the things I'm, I'm proudest of is like it took like I, I got the, I, the first I, I first tapped 22 minutes into the train and that was something that was very important to me is that like I wanted to be able to demonstrate that I'd learned survival skills and and so shout the, out to Andre yeah right hey, like, did yeah. Andre do it Andre did it get yeah. out of here Jeff no Go I know it. I know no Andre, Andre <laughs> but, I love you Andre <laughs> Andre is the Andre's the man but like honestly like that's one of the excerpt vi uh, from the video is the first tap and it's like and and you know and what's also awesome is like uh, so aside from the beautiful majesty of the train tradition itself it's also like tag team wrestling because when the different person jumps <laughs> you in on start you start off in the most beat up position right where it's like like man, often like like if I'm mounted on someone I'll roll into my guard so the next guy can jump on their back very easily and in fact my blue belt train which we also have on video features a young trevor hayes and a tie-dyed gi forcing me to get double legged over and over <laughs> which is kind of amusing but yeah. uh <laughs> but yeah it's like so yeah and, and seth you're black that gi. yeah no, my, my <laughs> nobody else misses that gi no my my new pitbull ate it on accident yeah. well there's something you don't hear every day <laughs> well, seth has a big grin he's like thank god i hated that thing no well, it's uh, in the, in the like we'll, we'll uh we will for the, maybe for the end of your show we'll talk about worst gis and we'll see where your gi stacks up against the harold hubbard right. pink gi Ooh, or the, right. uh, the camo gi tough to beat oh, no the camo, the camo gi is terrible gi's. too yeah. uh, so seth your black belt train was an hour and i 
13 minutes? 77 no. minutes. 77 minutes. So an hour and 17 minutes if yes. I can do some American 17 math. minutes. What do you remember hour. most about that train? Well, like I said, we try to empty our minds and get into a place. Um, what I remember is still frames. Still frame, you know, like pictures of like light and silhouettes. And uh, that's the truth. I don't remember much about the train. I remember certain people in certain positions, um, you know, protecting certain things, some certain route positions that I was trying to revisit over and over again that kept me safe, that kept pressure off of me. But there's not much to remember because of the fact that I'm in that happy place just trying to survive and get through an hour and 17 minutes of getting beat up. It's that's so actually- weird that you say that because all I imagine is when you say silhouettes, I can just see the floating image of Chris Farley yelling O'Doyle rules like throughout <laughs> I don't know why that's just my horrible mind like I have to break the seriousness you're like I'm going to this place where I see silhouettes and, and such so yeah. I did not of, see Chris Farley <laughs> you just gave this look of you took everything good and ruined it Trevor um, I, that's I, what I do I see a space coyote telling me to find my soulmate from, but actually it's, I'm really glad that you brought that up because that's actually very similar to my experience with my train where I remember maybe three to five moments and positions but other than that I'm just it's instinct or it's it's that it's that empty mind, and you know I do remember certain things, and and uh, Mike is going to have some some business coming back to him, <laughs> but uh, but but you know it's it, it, you can't because if you focus if you focus precisely on every moment, that's just not what the, what the point of the yeah. Thing and is. actually, you bring that up, you, you, somebody I can't remember who it was took you out of your your zone at one point in your train. Yeah, it was Alex. It was Alex. It was Alex because he he had uh, like I forget Judo Alex. Yeah, Judo yeah, Alex. He uh, he got you in a position. Where he was going for something and whether or not, however you react, you reacted in a way that made you come out and start rolling. Mm-hmm. You stopped surviving and then you swept him and you started to try to pass his guard mm-hmm. and you got tired. Yeah. And the next few minutes spent recovering from that 30 seconds of, of energy. And that was a, a an absence of Fudoshin, if you will. Yeah. You know, Fudoshin is another part of our, our, our uh, philosophy, which is, you know, an emotional balance, never too high, never too low. And in your train, you have to have Fudoshin. For sure. Because guys are going to beat you up. Sure. Guys are going to get your back and they're going to smack you in the head. And if you let that get to you, then you will not act accordingly. Sure. And so if you're curious about this belt train tradition, we're going to post some pictures of it, maybe some excerpts, uh, a video from my train to the Concussion Cast Facebook page so you can learn a little bit more about it. You can always ask us questions via um, email at cagesidewhoop at gmail.com or post on our Facebook page or on Twitter at cagesidewhoop. So uh, I always want to let you uh, uh, – uh, finish out if you have any other thoughts on that but I would like to transition to some of the other aspects of your life uh, you're a musician you play a variety of instruments and you've been doing that for s- many years yeah. I don't want to date you but but you have 27 years I've been playing guitar and you've played in various bands and toured the country put out numerous albums so tell us a little bit about your music career and I'm interested in whether that informs your martial arts journey at all and how are they related in your mind yeah they definitely are related there's no way you can't um, you can't distinguish or separate an artistic uh, interpretation of anything. But um, I started playing guitar about 25, 27 years ago. Um, my dad played guitar um, and uh, you know, he showed me a few things on it. And from there, I just sort of explored the guitar um, on my own and um, you know, got better at it, um, playing with my brother, playing with some friends, picked up the piano sometime in my teens. Um, been playing that for a long time, and then as it progressed, learned you know playing the bass, playing the drums. Um, have had studios, have played in bands, um, toured the country for a little bit with a band that I had back in the uh, early 2000s uh, named Rebel Folk, um, and had a, a great oper- a great experience, I should say, with a few different musicians while I was playing with that band. And I think there's a couple of parallels that I would say. The band that I had the most success with, Rebel Folk. Um, one of the things that I took from that experience that has trans- 
translated or transitioned to my experience um, with jujitsu uh, on a couple levels. The first one was running a band. I was the leader of Rebel Folk. We played my songs. I was the singer. I was the one who booked the shows. I did everything there was to do managerial-wise for this band. And um, that same thing, I was in that same place here with Triangle Jiu-Jitsu, too. I run TJJ. I am the the head of this thing. I run this business. And the two things I would say that are um, really important for the success of a band and the success of a gym or the success of a team, and I could take this even to my basketball days of playing basketball with some successful teams that I was on, There has to be a genuine desire for your peers, for your teammates, for your bandmates, for your students um, to shine, to succeed. Uh, When I played basketball, I wanted my my teammates to be as you know prominently um, displayed or, or recognized as I was. I had a really awesome basketball career early on in my life and I was able to um, do great things and in high school I was the player of the year I led the state in scoring and I took my tiny little high school team to the state championship my senior year in high school and we'd never even been you know past the quarterfinals before and so we won the whole state championship that year but that team was very special because we all really cared about each other and I wanted my point guard I wanted my you know guy coming off the bench I wanted everybody to score I wanted them to look good I wanted us to win at whatever cost regardless of whether or not I was the man or not and take that to my band days. I wanted my drummer to have a killer solo. I wanted my bass player to rock out. I wanted my you know guitar player, the piano players, to be focal points of the band. Even though I was the the person that was kind of holding it together, I was genuinely, and I can't say that you know enough. I genuinely wanted them to shine. Um, as a jujitsu school owner, um, and you know this as being one of my students, you know, I care about you guys more than I do myself. I would much rather lose a match than watch you guys lose a match. I would much rather have you guys win medals and be be recognized um, than myself. And so uh, I think that just that portion of it is a a strong parallel between um, jujitsu and artistic uh, um, impression. As far as being an artist, um, music-wise, and being a martial artist, it's, it's all about the way you express yourself. It's all about your personality. I teach an armbar. It's going to come from me. You teach an armbar. It's going to come from you. I play Stairway to Heaven. It's going to come from me. You play Stairway to Heaven. It's going to. So there's going to look at player. It's going to. There's going to say, right? Um, it's going to be different. You know, it's going to be rooted in the same idea. It's going to sound similar, but we can't separate ourselves as artists. And I think that's super important for variety, for diversity, because people learn differently. You know, someone who uh, is going to look for a way to defend themselves in in self-defense aspects, they're not going to be able to go in and deal with personalities that are contrary to what works for them just because they're going to have trouble getting past the way the person talks, the jokes they use, the analogies they use. So I think your personality reflects on um, the art and the artistic impression or interpretation of jujitsu because that's what we're doing as instructors. We're interpreting jujitsu. We're interpreting what Elio Gracie did. We're interpreting what we saw Hoist do. We're interpreting what we saw Hoffa Mendes do. It's not what they did, but it's an interpretation of what they did. And the same thing goes with music. You know, my influences on the guitar are, you know, Trey Anastasio or Jerry Garcia. Um, my influences as a songwriter, my father, you know, Bob Dylan, Paul Simon. You know, these are the influences. So I, Bob Marley. And I'm so I'm not going to be doing what they did. But you listen to my music and you'll see syncopations that could be, you know, what Bob Dylan did or what Eminem did. You know, I, these are the influences that collaborate. And I think that every next generation of artists is lo- linked into all of the things that they listen to. 
when I hear you talk about that, I also hear about something. I, I hear you talking about something that you talk about in jujitsu, which is the Dave Camarillo maxim that you should train with everyone. And maybe you're not going to sound just like Bob Dylan or just like Eminem as a musician, or maybe you're not going to play like Earl Monroe, but those influences, and that's why you should learn from a lot of different sources. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you would be cutting off your nose to spite your face if you just said, I'm only going to do this. I'm only going to play that lick, and I'm going to play it exactly like them. And there are some musicians out there who are insanely talented, but they play note for note exactly what this person did. They learned tab. I don't know if you guys remember back in the day. In Tab the guitar, the uh, tablature, okay. <laughs> in the back of guitar magazine, they would teach you a tab, you know, and it would be literally note for note the solo from this song that was oh, very that, popular. Yeah. And you'd sit there and you'd just learn it. And I was never good at that because I was like, I don't want to do that. Show me how the song goes and let me figure out something that I want to do with it, you know. Go with the flow. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Improv. Like jujitsu. Like Improv. motion, yeah. 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 <laughs> has, the cra- has the art of teaching music, and maybe I don't know how much basketball you've taught, but has that informed your ability to teach jujitsu? Yeah, I think it definitely has. I've been teaching in some capacity since since I was a teenager, you know, either working as a camp counselor, I'm running basketball camps when I was younger. Um, I started teaching guitar lessons after I was proficient enough to feel like I could relay some information. Um, and then teaching jujitsu was certainly a, a, a learning curve because that's one that gets pretty serious. You know, you don't want to be teaching stuff that you don't know. And so the early portions of my teaching was very um, cautious and conservative about what I showed. And if somebody asked a, a question I wasn't familiar with, I would always say, let me think about it. And then let me get back to you. I never wanted to come off as I knew everything, and especially when I was only a purple belt starting to teach. Um, but m- the teaching aspect of it, um, yes, teaching to me is my passion, I think. It's what I think I was supposed to do. I think it, you know, if you're lucky enough to figure out why, you know, what you're best suited for on this planet, that's an amazing thing. And I think I figured out a long time ago that I'm best suited for teaching. And so I uh, love finding ways to connect with my students. I love finding ways to either uh, draw parallels between different things. And when I'm doing that in a way that gives you knowledge on something as important as self-defense and jujitsu, then I'm uh, changing the world for a better place. And so, yeah, the way I would teach guitar, I mean, I was just doing, I'm still teaching guitar lessons every now and then. I'm teaching a guitar lesson right now to a young, um, a young boy who's in his early teens and he is super into, um, uh, programming and code writing and he's really talented i mean i think that's the next wave of kids are going to come up you know figuring out how to run the world from their laptop but i was Those teaching him something of the world. and i was showing him about scales and i was showing him how your fingers you have to practice this over and over again this you know this uh, mode if you will you know finger da, 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 and running your fingers up and down the scale and i was showing him how to do that and then once you just put that time in to do that then you can start to understand how to play music but you have to put the time in and i drew the parallel with them on the fly in a lesson about using a qwerty keyboard and i said to him i was like you're really good at code i was like do you remember the first time you started working on a qwerty keyboard you know on a keyboard i was like you had to figure out how to keep your hands here and then slowly move to these things and what you did probably in the beginning you didn't do this you know you did it slowly the correct way that's how you're going to do this with your scales. You don't want to go find the note and play it. You want to keep your hand in the right spot and work the scale as it's supposed to be. And if you put that time in, just like now when you sit down on your keyboard, you're just like through this code. Eventually, you can be like that. And so on the fly in our lesson, that got him. He got it. And it made sense to him. It spoke to him. And I could see the light bulb go off in his face. And as an instructor, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to connect with each person in a way that individually they get it. Now, when I have a class of 35 people in front of me in jujitsu, I have to tailor 
towards certain people who I think are most needing that lesson. So if I'm teaching a lesson on the armbar from the guard, there may be 85% of those students who don't necessarily need this right now. Either they've got it already, they're not ready for it yet, and then there's the few that are. So if I look on the mat and I see uh, maybe it's a, a different technique. Maybe it's a two-hand choke self-defense technique, and I see a younger woman who's expressed, I'm trying to be safe, and maybe I'm coming from a relationship where bad things happen. When I teach this technique, I'm going to frame it. It's going to be subtly framed for her. And even though everybody here can benefit from this lesson, she's the one that I'm trying to connect with today. And, you know, when I teach 12 classes a week, I can afford to bounce around the room and see who is going to fish reference. I can afford to bounce around the room and connect with different people. But (laughs) if that's not too wordy for you, if that was not too much spouting, that is how I try to, you know, mirror um, teaching anything. That's exactly what I was looking for. And we, we've got about five minutes left with Seth Champ. And so I, I have one more major question for you, Trevor. Do you, do you, have, a, do you have another co- major question for Seth? So I Seth make sh- is my kindred spirit, but he does jiu-jitsu. <laughs> we can it's, still no, be friends. He, like, we care a lot like the same philosophies on, on coaching and, and carrying it like that. And that's why I like to hear from other – like I told Seth when I started teaching, I was like, Seth, what do I do? I'm and we had some here. discussions about and that. And it's very similar. He's like, find it the way that, that you – can find a way to connect with people because you're sociable so do that and no. make it smart because you're dumb but make it smart <laughs> and uh no like Seth, he's Seth, paraphrasing like, but yeah, Tra- yeah but trevor's no, not Seth, dumb the, but he the, plays what it on Seth the radio just broke down is what everyone needs to listen to when they uh want to look at a martial arts academy they want to go to or be like maybe they're at a place they don't feel comfortable listen to what seth just said because that's the markings of a good uh martial arts instructor and martial artist and so forth, so on. Thank you. Seth, who do you You're think... <laughs> you just did your Roy Marsh NPR voice. That was awesome. You're welcome. Uh, sorry, Again. Roy. Uh, <laughs> Seth, who do you think your main influences are in your martial arts life and maybe in your life? You know, name a few people. And then this is, could also be a segue for you to give some shout-outs. Yeah, uh, I think when you ask me what my main influences are in life, I think it's easy to think about some of the idols and icons that you might think about. Um, there's no greater influence in my life than my kids. You know, I have three amazing children, and they influence just about everything I do, um, what my lifestyle is like, what my uh, responsibilities are. Um, some of you guys know I, you know, what it, my, my kids mean to me. You know what my kids mean to me. Um, Sharice, Isabel, and Trey, Reese and Izzy and Trey. Even though I wasn't supposed to shout out the oldest one, uh, <laughs> I talked to him this morning, Sorry, and I said, Reese, do you want me to shout you out? And she said, no, Dad, I don't want to be famous. And I said, <laughs> okay. And I talked to Izzy, and Izzy's like, I'll be famous. Throw me out there. Um, Trey yeah, my, not No, games. Trey didn't know. But uh, my kids are my biggest influence. Everything I do in life is, is for them. Everything I do and um, is for them. But outside my kids, my influence influences um are just not even like you know obviously hoist is a big deal my musician influences and stuff but my influences come from the everyday person those random acts of kindness that you get to rarely see online you know when the we see too much stuff we see too much negativity online um but every now and then someone will post something uh, on facebook or on twitter of just like someone doing something good someone doing something nice and those are my influences on life those are the things that i that i genuinely lift me up each day um and so that's what kind of gets me going. Gets me through. Seth incidentally has tattoos of his kids, which maybe we'll post photos of. But uh, <laughs> I but, do. Yeah. So um, I've had a blast, and I want to thank Seth for coming in. It's always awesome to talk to you and get to learn from you. I'm fortunate to get to learn from Seth every day at Triangle Jiu-Jitsu in Durham. Um, next week, we're going to interview Fredson Paishao, who is a legend of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, an awesome competitor. So I'm excited for that interview. Chum, check us out. 
Um, and we are also going to do our end of year show. So if anybody has significant events from this year they want to make sure that we focus on, please hit us up at cagesidewhoop at gmail.com. Chris, or on the Twitter. intern will have a three word. Uh, three uh, words. He'll, he'll be allowed three, three words on air. We're gonna, yeah, Chris, did, Chris got to sit in this time. Thanks for your patience, Chris. We're going to get Chris on the air soon. Oh, he's only allowed to speak in haiku poetry yes, and, yes, and obscurantist it. verse. You know, but, hopefully, let's shoot for next year having like hour and a half long shows. Yeah, and like, because this is just so much to talk about in an hour. We're like. seriously talking about uh, going for a second hour. So if you guys yeah. can hang with us. Anyway, we for got sure. about we got a minute and a little left. We're going to have Tune in the Real Law play us out in a second. But Seth, thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, just real quick before I go thank you guys this concussion cast has been fun to listen to each week i've been listening to it guys that are on here are super entertaining we have guys um, listened in, in europe now. yeah it's an amazing job you guys are awesome um i'm just going to quickly shout out cageside.com um boomer toro bjj these guys are the reason why north carolina more uh, mixed martial arts and jiu-jitsu is as good as they are um for anything you guys need especially in the holiday season visit cageside.com Thank you to Seth Champ. Thank you to our guest next week, Fredson Paishow. Thanks to my co-host Trevor and to the silent for now, intern Chris. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cage Side Concussion Cast. We will see you next week. You're listening to WHUPLP Hillsboro 104.7 on the dial and on the web at 